Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. On the phone, I have Azza Rojbi. Azza is from North Africa. She is involved in social justice and anti-racism work. She's published the book U.S. and Saudi War and the People of Yemen. Uh, she's involved with the anti-war group in Vancouver, uh, Mobilization Against War and Occupation. She's active in the Solidarity Movements of Latin America, coordinator of the Friends of Cuba Against the U.S. Blockade, and is a member of the editorial board of the Fire This Time newspaper, writing and researching on Middle Eastern politics. Welcome to the show, Azza. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for having me. Now, today we're going to talk about the anniversary of the war in Yemen, because we only get little snippets of news, and many Canadians and people across North America don't really understand the scope of what's happening there. Can we uh, go back a little bit and get the groundwork on how this war started and what it's about? Yeah, thank you, Stuart. And, and you're right. In a way, the war on Yemen has been um, called the forgetting war because there's very little media coverage. So thank you for doing this interview and, and covering this issue. But in the United States and in Canada, there's very little news that is covering the war on Yemen. And so I'll go back a little bit in history and give our listeners today a bit of an understanding and so um, the war on Yemen started in 2015. Um, it is led by a coalition that was put together by Saudi Arabia, very much backed by the United States government. And actually, uh, the war, the start of the war was announced from Washington, D.C. Um, on March 26, 2015. Um, so as you've already mentioned, uh, this year we are marking six years of this war. And when we go back, and, and I was actually doing this recently, uh, while I was writing an, a new article updating the situation in Yemen and I was researching, I went back to see some of the news that uh, was out uh, in March 2015 about the start of the war. This war was told out to the news and the media at that time as something that is supposed to be um, an intervention in Yemen that is supposed to be bringing legitimacy and stability back to Yemen and the region. And now we're six years after, and, and one wonder where is the stability in Yemen, while Yemen today is the world's worst humanitarian crisis, uh, according to the United Nations. So the intervention of Saudi Arabia in the internal affairs uh, of Yemen and in an internal conflict in Yemen, um, and of course backed by the United States, have created a humanitarian disaster in that country. Yemen already has been one of the most impoverished countries in the Middle East and North Africa. And now, after six years of war, distraction, um, Yemen is in a really, really bad situation, and, and the humanitarian crisis there is actually getting worse day by day. And just one more thing that might be interesting for your listener to know is the actual position of Yemen in the Middle East. And so Yemen has a very, very strategic location. Its borders, uh, its coastal borders, uh, border what we say Deb el Mandeb Strait. It's a very narrow strait. It's a very strategic waterway uh, between the Horn of Africa and the Middle East. And so it's connecting the Mediterranean Sea to the Swiss Canal and the Red Sea and to the Gulf mm. of Aden. So to, to simplify this, basically the strait is one of the most active and vital uh, maritime shipping routes in the world. So the position of Yemen is very strategic and and this goes into the intervention of Saudi Arabia in Yemen, backed by the United States, 
is to serve their own interests. Um, they tried to sell it at the beginning, saying this is for the people of Yemen to bring back peace to the people of Yemen. But we've seen six years later, the people of Yemen are suffering and they are just the United States and Saudi Arabia are only there serving their own interests. And also um, to add that not only they're serving their own interests because of the strategic position of Yemen, but the United States and a lot of other European countries, including Canada, have been making actually billions of dollars uh, on arms sales and training and equipment to Saudi Arabia and other countries um, that are in the coalition. As I said in the beginning, the war on Yemen, the United Nations called it the world's worst humanitarian crisis. And so six years of this war is aggravating. Already the world humanitarian worst crisis has been called, like the United Nations called it this few years ago. Now we are six years into this war and it's aggravating day by day. It's really tragic because this rarely makes the news. I mean, we live in Canada, you and I, and Western powers like European Union and Canada and the United States, we like to wax poetically about human rights. And we've been condemning China daily in the news, and, and they should. Their yeah. treatment of the Uyghur people is, has been awful. But almost nothing, zero coverage about Saudi Arabia. We get the occasional news coverage. But the UN reported on, uh, they did a report March 24th of 2020, that this is a humanitarian catastrophe. There's been millions and millions of people waking up hungry daily. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed, yet almost nothing. The occasional Twitter feed someone sends out, but almost nothing that, that we're, we're supporting this conflict. So why the silence? What is it about Saudi Arabia that almost governs zero coverage? They We had some coverage when they, the journalist was murdered last year, but nothing came of that. And we, we had it, people used to blame Trump for all these things, but now it's a new government in the United States and we're still more of the same. So what what's behind the silence? Yeah, that, that, that's a very good question. And, and I think um, it's important um, to go back to, well, one, the billions of dollars those countries are making in arms deal. Like Saudi, Saudi Arabia is the highest buyer of arms. Uh, and so it's buying the highest arms from the United States, but it's also the highest buyer of arms from Canada. So we like to think of Canada as a peace-loving country, but our mm. government is selling arms to countries like Saudi Arabia, billions of dollars worth of contracts over this last six years. Well, as you mentioned, we see the devastation that this war created in Yemen, but we continue to fuel it. And so countries like the United States and Canada not only have interest in the region for their own hegemonical interest to have in the Middle East and North Africa, but they're also making billions and billions of dollars out of this war. And just to give you a little bit of some numbers, because um, I know most of our listeners might be in Canada, I think it's important to realize that this government, the liberal Trudeau government, is very complicit in this war. So our media does not cover it as much as it should be, but our government here is complicit in this. And so, for example, on September um, of 2020, the United Nations Human Rights Council named Canada as one of the parties that are fueling the war of Yemen by continuing selling arms to Saudi Arabia. And so just to give you a little bit of statistics, for example, in 2019, Canada sent about 36.9 million worth of aid, humanitarian aid to Yemen. But in contrast to that, Canada also in 2019 exported about $3 billion of weapons to Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia is our highest client 
in Canada buying weapons from us. So the silence, unfortunately, that we see in the media and from the government is very much connected to the fact that Canada is complicit in this war. So talking about the war on Yemen is talking about what we is, is dangerous for them in some ways because it means that more people in Canada will learn about what's going on. But in addition to that, more people in Canada will learn about their government complicity in it. And then more people in Canada would say, I don't want this. I don't want my government to be selling arms to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to do something about this. And this is a scary thought for them that people in Canada could mobilize and oppose this arms deal. So the silence is in some ways is for keeping the status quo that things are normal. There's nothing to see here. Carry on. But the reality, and, and you've mentioned it, is that there's a humanitarian crisis that's aggravating day by day. The United Nations recently said that about 400,000 children could die out of starvation this year in Yemen. Numbers like this, if they are communicated to people in Canada, will get them not only shocked, but will get people here questioning, why is my government selling all these weapons to Saudi Arabia, knowing what they are being used for, knowing the crisis that's happening in Yemen, and yet we are still providing them. So countries like Canada, the United States, France, are basically fueling this war. So they might not be the one that have the guns, but they're the one that are selling it. They're not the one that have the bombs, but they're the one that are selling it. So our government and our country is very complicit in this, unfortunately, in this war that's continuing and, and aggravating day by day. Uh, I'm looking at an Amnesty International report that says activists, human rights workers, and such have been threatened, harassed, disappeared in Yemen. It's happening all the time. It's right out in the open. And the idea that Canada's benefiting, like we got to keep doing what we're doing because of some jobs in manufacturing, starting selling armored Humvees or whatever we're selling over there. It's disgusting. Yeah, or, or as Trudeau called them, Jeeps. Yeah, we They're don't. <laughs> armored vehicle, but our, our, our prime minister called them, quote unquote, Jeeps. So that we really have blood on our hands. And, and you're quite right. Our public media, they're quite gentle on, yeah. the, on this federal government. And, uh, and certainly the. The um, corporate media is not saying a, a bloody thing about it. So how do we make our voices heard? Who's who's actually benefiting? What what Canadian, what industries are benefiting from this? Like, how can we take action to make our voices heard? Because our public media and our private media, they're not doing their jobs if this is going on and I'm not hearing about it. So what what can an ordinary Canadian do about this? That, that That's a very good question. And I think it's important to talk about that because it's important to feel like we have a voice and and that we can stand up, not only feel sad and feel like how horrible it is what's happening in Yemen, but feel like we are empowered to stand up against it and stand up here in Canada asking the stop of this arms deal. And so just in, in general, to give you an idea, for example, and so our interview today is on March 26th. It's, the six, it's marking the six years of wars in Yemen. So there's actions um, yesterday, the March 25th and 26th today, which is uh, what's called the Global Days of Action Against the War, marking the six years of wars. So there's been actions in Canada, across the globe, in the United States. For example, here in Vancouver yesterday, because of you know the COVID-19 pandemic and we wanted to do things safely, uh, we decided on the option to do a public action that's a care care event. And we were doing it simultaneously with also a care care event in Hamilton, Ontario. So both us here in Vancouver and, and folks in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, we're in the streets with the cars that are decorated with signs 
and trying to get the attention of folks to see that this is happening, that Canada is complicit in the war. So our messaging was clear that we were asking the Canadian government to stop selling this arms deal. And, and this is important because, as you said, there is a bit of a media blockade about this issue. So we're able to be driving in the streets of Vancouver, of Hamilton, Ontario, and grab people's attention. And it was interesting to see folks when we drove by actually honked at us yesterday and, and like gave us thumbs up of support, um, took pictures of us. It is an issue that not a lot of people know about, but once they know about their interest in knowing more. And today also, there's action in other parts of Canada. I believe some folks are, are doing a blockade today. Uh, they're blockading the CN rails uh, because CN rails is complicit in the arms trade. Mm. Um, some of the, the light armored vehicles that Canada is making and selling to Saudi Arabia are transported by the train. So some folks in London, uh, I believe in, in London, Ontario today, um, are uh, blockading railway tracks near the general dynamics uh, land system in Canada, which is the company that's manufacturing the light armored vehicle that we're selling to Saudi Arabia. And so there is actions in Canada already that are happening and internationally. And um, I also wanted to add a few things that folks can do um, from home if they feel like they're a bit overwhelmed about participating in actions right now, mm-hmm. um, is that 68 organizations in Canada that are representing over a million people uh, have came together to sign a letter uh, that is demanding that Canada stop arming Saudi Arabia. This letter also highlighted 28 companies, So, and this was the first time that these companies were named that are complicit in Canada's arms deals with Saudi Arabia. Uh, this letter was delivered uh, by activists to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office about a week and a half ago. It was also delivered to the offices of other MPs and companies across Canada. Um, and so this letter is an important piece that brought people from Canada and the voices of people from Canada to the government to say we are opposing this arms deal. And uh, alongside the letter, there's also two parliamentary petitions that were started uh, by folks in Canada that are demanding uh, the ending of this arms deal with Saudi Arabia. So if people, if our listeners that are from Canada, resident of Canada, are interested in, in reading this letter that names the companies that are complicit, but also if, if they're willing and interested in signing the two petitions, uh, they can visit the website of uh, Mobilization Against War on Occupation, uh, which is www.mauvancouver.org. Um, we have both the petitions and the letter on our website, so you can not only sign it, but please share it. And if you are on social media, share it with your friends on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Invite more people in Canada to add their voices because the more signatures we have in this petition, the better chance we have that this will be presented at the parliament. And we understand that maybe our voice is still not as big as it should be, but the voice has to be there. And, And we feel like as folks here in Vancouver that are working with people in Hamilton, in London, Ontario, Montreal, we're trying to create a Canada-wide um, mm-hmm. network of people that are opposing this war and, and people that want to give folks in Canada a way to add their voice to this opposition. And maybe we can break the silence. I think the first step is educating people. And, and this is why um, this, this piece and, and your show is important, because this is going to educate some people that even maybe haven't even heard about the war on Yemen or about the complicity of Canada. So our first step is to get to them and then get them engaged and try to get them to join us. But even if they can't join actions in their locals or in their areas, they can at least online help us break this media blackout, this media 
blockade on Yemen. Around the world, it's really interesting to see what resonates and where people have their solidarities. Like the two Michaels in China, I've had many, 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 many reports, as there should be, about arbitrary detentions. But in this Saudi Arabia, I'm going to read something and then I'll comment more uh, from this mm-hmm. Amnesty International report. It says on April 11, 2020, the Houthi-run specialized criminal court in Sanaz sentenced to death four journalists, Akram Al-Waldhadi, Mr. Rahman, Harif Hamid, and Taufig Al-Masuri, following grossly unfair trials, including torture, detention, and other ill treatment, the four journalists, along with six others, received long-term sentences. I've been detained since 2015. Anyway, it goes on and on, but it has been brutal. And where is the solidarity for these journalists? Where is the solidarity for the hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians, the millions who are waking up hungry? Is it because it's a brown country? Is it because the racism is underneath this? I just want to know where the solidarity is among journalists, because quite often I see, being on a lot of journalists on my Twitter feed, I see um, call-outs for solidarity, but I haven't seen anything. So talk a little bit about maybe perhaps a little bit of racism is going on here in the reporting, because for me, it's like it just makes my heart thump in my chest when I see these the conditions. And I, I don't, is it not education? It is the blackout or perhaps people just feel that certain parts of the world, that's the way things are. I think I think you have some point in there. I, th- I think I think it's important if if I can go back a few years um, uh, to the start of the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq and the war in Syria and and unfortunately wars in the Middle East and North Africa that a lot of them have been started by the United States government and and other Western governments are supporting it, including Canada, in some ways have normalized um, the fact that oh of course there is another war in the Middle East. Oh, of course, there is more people dying in the Middle East or North Africa. And and this is to your piece of it is a lack of education, but it is also, unfortunately, a lot of the media is complicit in, in spreading this narrative that, yes, people in the Middle East have always been in war. They're always killing each other. They're always going to die. They, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the same thing. But if people um, stop a little bit and look at this, the pattern right. is that folks in the Middle East have been under war and aggression and occupation not because they wanted to, but because the United States government and other Western forces that have strategic interests in that region have not given them a break, war after war after war. So in that it goes back to also point, I think, of racism is that the life of Yemeni people is not worth as much as the life of people here in Canada. And, and I, I'm not generalizing. I think not everybody is this way, but I think the complicity is in the government and the media that normalize the death of people in the Middle East and North Africa, that normalize that, yes, people of color in Yemen, in Syria, in Afghanistan and Iraq, there's always shooting there, they're all going to die. Like that, that narrative that the media played for so many years, so many years and so many years might be something that also contributed to the fact that people might just be like, oh, here you go, another war in the Middle East. But mm-hmm. it's important, I think this is where I go back to education and, and why education, anti-racism education is important, education about wars and occupation is important because they are tied together. And, and, and you've said this, and I think it, it's very important to not only break the media silence, but change the narrative that people in the Middle East, countries like Iraq are cradle of civilization. A country like Yemen is a land of rich history and ancient civilization. Yemen is a country where the 
the coffee that we all drink started in Yemen. Yemen is a, is a country that is very beautiful, that is very complex culture, but it's, it's a country that has a rich, rich history, but that is never presented outside to the world here. The narrative that it's always Yemen is a poor country, it's always been in turmoil, it's always been in war, it's always, there is a very negative uh, narrative that is always presented about the Middle East and North Africa here. And, and some of it is the complicity of the media, unfortunately, because they are just repeating the line of the government in a lot of the cases. And, and, and sometimes the line of the government is negative because they are complicit in the atrocities that are happening there. So they don't want you to know more about the rich history of Yemen and sympathize with people there. Um, they don't want folks in Canada to feel like they have more in common with, a, with somebody in Yemen than they do with the government here. At, at the end of the day, if, if you're a person in Yemen under bombardment and Canada is selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, you have more in common with a Canadian that lives here and has to deal with poverty and homelessness. If those connections right. are made, if, if, if working people in Canada see that they are similar and they are connected to people in the Middle East and North Africa, they, they, they can realize that there's more solidarity between, between people. And I think this is, this is something that's dangerous for the government here. And it's dangerous for the media, too, in, in some ways, because they are complicit. They, they don't want you to solidarize with people in the Middle East and North Africa. They want you to think that they are uncivilized, that they've always been in wars, and that's just how the way it is. But, but it's not. And, and I personally come from Tunisia, and, and it's in North Africa. And when I first came to Canada, a lot of people didn't even know where Tunisia was or what it is or what's going on there. And so there is, there is a huge education that has to happen. And, and the education piece brings in the anti-racism, brings in the anti-imperialism piece, brings in the fact that if you live in Canada, why would you feel okay with your government intervening all over the world? What gives Canada the right to go back to my country or to go back to Yemen and say, you should have this guy as a president instead of this other guy or this person as a prime minister instead of this other person. So it's a big job ahead of, right. ahead of people that are involved in the anti-war and, and, and peace movement in Canada and the United States because we have to convince people um, that they are related to folks in the Middle East and North Africa, and, and they have more in common with them than they do with their governments, but also that there is something they can do about it um, here in, in Canada and the United States. Our, our, our education is quite myopic when we look outside of our colonial structure, and just like in Haiti, it's been a media blackout, the struggle in Haiti, and you're quite right, this kind of colonial racism comes home. It comes home to uh, indigenous people here in the Wasuetan struggle uh, just two years ago in, in Canada and how people viewed that exactly. and, the, and the Black Lives Matter struggling United States, so much police brutality that would be n not tolerated in any other community but the black community. And people are fighting back. People, I think, are waking up to that colonial past and to the, these struggles come home when we see that happen in other places and we're complicit and we don't have common humanity, these struggles definitely come home. So I, I really want to yeah. thank you for the tremendous work uh, you're doing. And any final word to people who are feeling this and are already feeling down because of COVID, but I, I hear about these stories and um, I don't want people to have a sense of helplessness. I want people to be empowered and motivated. So what message can you send out to people um, who, are, who are feeling down about these things? So thank you, Stuart. I, I basically think, to, to your point, um, in, in some ways, this is a, a war abroad and a war at home. It, it's a war against, as you mentioned, Indigenous people here in Canada, the Black Lives Movement in the United States, 
but it's also a war abroad, a war against Yemen, a war against Iraq. And so there is that, that connection for sure that needs to be made and needs to be understood. And, and I, as, as, as a person that has been involved in the anti-war movement um, and has been actively working to bring these issues to light and to educate more folks about it, I understand that sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming, but I am very hopeful because I see people coming together. And so there is always a voice that is dissent. There's always a voice that is standing up for justice. And for example, today and yesterday, March 25th and 26th, were global days of action. And so they were actions supporting the people of Yemen and, and standing up against this war and also calling for the end of the blockade because Saudi Arabia, the Saudi-led coalition, has been holding um, the Yemeni people hostage with an, air, with an air, sea, and land blockade, which has been stopping all sorts of fuel, medical aid, food from reaching the country and aggravating the humanitarian crisis there. But people are opposing it. People are standing up against it, not only here in Canada. To go back to the example of Canada, for example, just yesterday, in one day, two cities in Canada, Hamilton and Vancouver, had care caravans for Yemen. So there, I think there is a bit of a momentum around the issue of Yemen. There's more people that are learning about the case. And as soon as people learn about the atrocities that are happening there, they want to do something about it. I believe in the goodness of people. And I think people fundamentally are not seeking war. People would like to work for peace and would like to support peace. There is just, unfortunately, a lack of education and a lot of misinformation. And so I think people usually make the right decision once they are informed and once they understand what's going on. So I, I see the future hopeful because I, I know the goodness of people. And I see that historically, in a lot of different issues, people have stood up against injustices and won. And we have a lot of historical examples of winning, but it might take years sometimes, unfortunately. But we have to be on the right side of history and we have to be on the right side with the truth. And in this case, and in the war of Yemen, it's very, it's very important for us people that live in Canada and the United States to understand that our government are complicit. And not only complicit, they are fueling this war. Right. And we have to stand up to them. So things like the petitions that were started across Canada are important. Actions across Canada are important. Anything that brings a coalition of groups, of organizations from around the world together to stand up against this will make us stronger and will echo our voice in a lot of different places. Thank you so much for spending a few moments with me. I will post this interview on latinwaysmedia.com and on our, at latinwaysmedia on Twitter. But how can people uh, get more information from you, uh, website, or kind of get more informed on this issue? Definitely. Um, and so I, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I will um, repeat again the website of Mobilization Against War and Occupation. Uh, we're an anti-war coalition in Vancouver. And uh, our website is um, www.mauvancouver.org. And uh, MAWO is written in M-A-W-O. So in our website, uh, folks can find the letter I was talking about that was sent to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau asking to stop the arms deal, but also two petitions they can sign. Uh, people can also find us on Twitter um, at MAWOVEN. We share a lot of information on Twitter from our actions, but also from actions around the world. And people could also follow me personally. Um, I'm very active on Twitter, sharing different articles I write about Yemen. Um, and my handle is at Aza underscore R14. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much, Stuart. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated 
weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.